following resource is from Welford Baptist Church. Well, again, welcome, and uh, I'm glad to have this opportunity to, to share with you guys tonight. Pastor Carl and his family are away on vacation and, uh, and having a relaxing time, and so I'm just glad to have the opportunity to share, and um, we're going to look at a, um, a story in my favorite gospel, um, the gospel of Mark. Uh, not that any of the other ones are bad, but I just really like the the gospel of Mark. It's really fast-paced. There's no wasted words in it. Uh, you can sit down and read it in, uh, in one sitting. Um, and, uh, it's, uh, it's just, so, so if you will turn to chapter four of Mark, the last part of chapter four, chapter four, verse 35, Jesus calms a storm. And, uh, I've always been intrigued by this story. Just some of the some of the questions, the rhetorical questions that are in this story and uh, just the fact that um, the disciples were afraid when the storm came up and then once the storm was stilled, they were very afraid <laughs> and something scared them worse than the storm if you will. And uh, so we're going to look at this, just set the context for this story. Uh, the first part of the chapter, first part of the book of Mark is, uh, revolves around Jesus teaching and, uh, in ministry in Galilee. And, uh, uh, the beginning of chapter four is a, is a series of parables. Um, one being a very famous parable of the the, the parable of the sower and the seeds and the different types of soil um, and the different plants that sprung up and either died or multiplied and produced fruit. And uh, uh, then several other parables. And then this story of Jesus calming the storm is uh, the first in a series of, of stories that Mark tells um, about Jesus' authority over things. Uh, the, here he's going to exercise authority over the winds and the sea. Uh, even the winds and the sea obey him. And then the next story, uh, he goes across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee and cast out the, the demons or the, the legion of demons. And even the demons obeyed him. And then the next story, he has authority over uh, illness of the woman with the issue of blood and even death uh, from the daughter of the, of the synagogue rulers. Uh, and so this, this section, this story starts telling the, the uh, or, or showing pictures of um, Jesus' authority over all kind of things. And um, so this, there's, when we, I, let's read this story. Let's go ahead and start. Chapter 4, verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, 
let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and the sea. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. He said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So this is a story that's uh, very concise, and yet it has some unusual details in it. Uh, the Sea of Galilee. Well, let me show you a picture of uh, a boat that was found in 1986 um, in the mud along the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Some of you have probably seen this boat or remember the story of them finding it. Um, it matches, the, it's very similar to a picture of uh, a similar boat that's preserved in a mosaic uh, a tile mosaic in a in a building uh, in a city or a, a village on the south uh, southwest shore of the Sea of Galilee, and the carbon dating dates this this particular boat back to about the time of Jesus, somewhere between uh, 100 B.C. and 40 A.D. Uh, so pretty close time frame. Um, the next picture shows a kind of a, a model of what this boat would have looked like. They would have had uh, a deck of sorts at the front and the rear. Uh, would have had room for, uh, it would have been propelled by either a sail or uh, four oarsmen, two on either side. Um, the uh, capacity would have been about maybe 15 people if you crowned them on there. Um, we, uh, we took, uh, a measurement. We got Donnie up here, our carpenter, and we took some measurements and, uh, that boat that they found was 20, 20, what did I say? 26 and a half feet long, which is about the length of these risers here from end to end. And then it's about, uh, seven and a half feet wide, which would be maybe two sets of these risers. And it's four and a half feet tall, which is about as tall as I am these days. Um, so that was the size of this boat, just to get it in your mind. And they're on the, uh, they're in and around the, the city of Capernaum, which is on the northwest side, uh, Show the map there, Jonathan, on, of, of the next picture, Sea of Galilee. The, uh, the northwest side 
of the Sea of Galilee is where the the uh, um, where Jesus had been ministering and teaching and telling these parables. And he says, "Let's go uh, to the other side." And they went down uh, to this section down in the southeast, where it says, uh, "I don't know how to pronounce that." Gadara, which is the region of the Gadarene. Uh, or uh, there's several ways it's, it's, it's translated. The, the Gerasene demoniac is where they're headed to, to deal with that guy. Um, but this lake is about 10 miles wide at the widest point and about maybe 15 miles tall, if you will, or from north to south. Um, the weather uh, was and is uh can be notoriously bad on the Sea of Galilee. Um, storms come in off the Mediterranean and kind of funnel through this Jezreel Valley, which is you may have heard of in the Bible. And there's uh, two large mountains in Galilee and, and a kind of a valley in between. And it just kind of funnels the weather down to the Sea of Galilee, which is 700 feet below sea level. And then... On the north east side of the Sea of Galilee is Mount Hermon, which it rises uh, about 10,000 feet above the Sea of Galilee. So the weather comes in and just kind of swirls around in this bowl on the Sea of Galilee. And so one of the famous storms comes up, and uh, these disciples, many of whom were... Um, experienced seamen on that particular uh, sea or lake. Um, it would be a large lake. Uh, but they were afraid. And uh, so they call on Jesus, and he uh, is asleep. And so they say, don't you care that we're perishing? And this story is also told in... Luke and Matthew and uh, the, the, the disciples, the way those gospel writers relate what the, they kind of soften up what the, what the disciples said. In, um, in Matthew 8, they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And in Luke, they say, master, master, we're perishing. But, but Mark kind of he kind of doesn't soften up the language, which kind of gives it the 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 feel of a of, of an eyewitness account. And people, uh, uh, for for ever since just the early centuries, people have have credited Mark um, as telling the memoirs of Peter because he was a co-worker of Peter in Rome, and so. Uh, uh, many think that that Mark uh, wrote this gospel shortly after um, Peter's death, and, and and wrote down everything that that Peter uh, or, or or used the eyewitness accounts of stories that Peter had told him to fashion his gospel and encourage the folks at the churches in Rome, and um, so today a lot of people think that. 
uh, or, or, or look at these stories in the Bible of these miracles and, and they attribute these to, uh, well, these are just stories that people made up about Jesus, that his followers made up about him. But uh, stories like that don't have these kind of details. And, um, and if, you were, if you were telling the words of Peter and you were just making things up, you sure, surely you wouldn't have said, um, you would have used some of the words more, a little bit more polite, like maybe Matthew did or Luke did. You wouldn't say, Lord, don't you even care about us? And um, so that leads some, some authenticity to this story. And then uh, Jesus was asleep on the cushion. Why couldn't you just say, he was asleep. Um, the, I mean, that doesn't add anything to the story, but it's a detail that makes it, gives it the feel of an eyewitness statement. And so these, uh, this story is an eyewitness account about a, a historical event that really happened with Jesus and his disciples, and yet Mark tells it in a way that gives it a theological message. He's wanting to teach us, number one, I think, something about Jesus, and he's wanting to teach his readers also something about discipleship, what it means to be a follower of Jesus. And so we're going to look at some things uh, that, uh, in the, that respect. And uh, the other thing I want to do um, before we go any farther, is this this story, um, this event has some amazing similarities to another story in the Bible, in the Old Testament. Um, if you remember, maybe the book of Jonah. So I want to read. We're going to read a lot of scripture tonight, but I want to I want to read this story, and you listen for some similarities here. Uh, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. And then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. And they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us thought to us that we might not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots so that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and a lot fell to Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? 
and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. And he said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea, that the sea will quiet down for you. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know that it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Then they called out to the Lord, O let us not perish for this man's life, and let us not and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So there's some similarities between their two stories, aren't there? Uh, and there's some differences, too. Um, my notes here. You have two prophets, Jonah and Jesus, sailing across the sea, and both of them are asleep in the storm. You have fellow sailors uh, along with these prophets, some of them very experienced, veteran, veteran sailors that are amazed at these prophets' apparent lack of concern. Uh, both stories end with calm seas and safe but even more fearful sailors. The di differences are Jonah is running away from the Gentiles. Uh, he's running away from the presence of, of, of the Lord because God had called him to go uh, proclaim the gospel or proclaim forgiveness of sins to Nineveh, that wicked nation. And uh, as we learn in the rest of Jonah, uh, Jonah was running from God not because he was afraid of the Ninevites, but because he didn't want God to forgive the Ninevites. Um, and then, so that's where, that's what Jonah was on. That's the reason Jonah was on the sea. The reason Jesus and the disciples are on the sea is because they're going to the land of the Gentiles. Uh, that's what the, the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee was mainly Gentile territory. Uh, if you remember when he cast those demons out, they went into a, he sent them into a herd of pigs. You don't have pigs in Galilee. <laughs> you have pigs in Gentile territory. Those were unclean animals. Um, uh, but so Jesus and the disciples, maybe they didn't know why they were going to this territory, but they, Jesus knew why they were going to this territory. Uh, so they were going, they were on the sea for good reasons, Jonah for bad reasons. But, um, uh, and then of course the way the, the storm was calmed is very different 
um, Jonah was in essence sacrificed for the well-being of the of the rest of the ship. Um, Jesus simply spoke. And the storm was calmed. Uh, so he, he spoke, Jonah sacrificed. Um, so those are some differences. But it's amazing the kind of the echoes of the Jonah story in this story. But uh, I think God would have us maybe look at several things from this uh, miraculous story of the calming of the sea. And the first is that Jesus never wastes a good storm. He's a God of wisdom. Uh, James chapter 1 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. And if Peter is kind of, you know, if you, if you read the rest of Mark, Peter is uh, maybe the representative uh, uh, of the rest of the disciples. He's, the, he's, the, he's their leader. He's the one that um, kind of acts on their behalf. Oftentimes he's the, he's the first one to open his mouth um, Maybe when he could have been better off if he'd have kept his mouth shut. Um, but but Peter's kind of the personifies the whole group of disciples. And if you if you think about this story, and you think about another story about Peter uh, in a boat on a stormy sea, um, Peter's the the first one to step out of the boat, right, and, and, and walk on water. Uh, Jesus, tell me to come to you. And so Peter, Jesus said, come to me. And Jesus, Peter got out of the boat. And he began to walk on the water toward Jesus. So he's got, by this time, his faith has increased tremendously. And so uh, God has used this first storm to build Peter's faith. Now, Peter's faith is going to continue to increase and decrease, if you will, uh, like a wave, uh, as is often the case with my faith or maybe yours. Maybe sometimes your faith is very strong. Maybe sometimes your faith is very weak. But God uses the storms in our lives to build our faith. Um, I know that I found that to be true. Um, I think probably many of you have too, but God never wastes. God is, Jesus is wise in the storms that we face in life. Um, the second thing I think we could learn from this is don't confuse Jesus in action for a lack of care. He's a God of compassion. Um, that question's never really answered that the disciples have. Lord, don't you, 
Don't you care that we're about to perish? Um, that question just kind of lingers out there. Um, of course, it's kind of answered in the way that Jesus responds by waking up and, and calming the storm. But um, I think a lot of times the, uh, the, that's the way the Bible works. It just kind of leaves us with these questions. And, you know, when I read that question, the more I read that passage, it's more, you know, um, I'm surprised at the, uh, in some ways, the gall that the disciples have to, to ask the question that way, uh, maybe accuse Jesus of not caring about them. But then uh, I also know that I've experienced the same type of feelings. You know, when, when, when Jesus or God seems to be inact, uh, inactive in a, in a storm in my life, and maybe I, I entertain thoughts, does he really care? But over and over again in, in God's Word, we see uh, the word uh, compassion used of Jesus. Um, and, and many times when, he's, uh, when, the, when, the, when the gospel writers tell us about a, a story of Jesus healing somebody or uh, teaching someone uh, this, this sick or uh, facing uh, demon-possessed or, or facing something, he, he, the, the text says he has compassion on them. And, and that's kind of a, a word that's used before he goes on to do whatever he's going to do. And that happens in, in Mark, just an example, a few chapters later in Mark, when Jesus is about to feed the 5,000, it says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like a sheep, like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So when Jesus saw this crowd of people, he had compassion. His heart went out to them. And so just because we don't see God moving immediately to help us in our situation doesn't mean he doesn't care for us. God is a God of compassion. Third, don't confuse Jesus' immediate lack of action for a lack of information. Oh God, Jesus, don't you know that we're perishing? Of course Jesus knows. <laughs> um, uh, it's, when, when we don't see uh, God working in our life, it doesn't mean that he doesn't know we need. It's not because of a lack of compassion. It's not for a, a lack of knowledge. Um, uh, the Psalm 103 um, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. I love that phrase, he knows our frame. Uh, he knows what we're made of. He knows uh, our, our thoughts, our, our struggles, our weaknesses. Um, and that's uh, part of the good news of this story is 
I mean, obviously we're going to get to the, the fact that Jesus being able to control the winds and the waves, that's something that only God can do. So obviously in this story, Jesus is God. But at the same time, Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. He knows what it's like to be in the storm. And he's able to sleep while the disciples are not. But that's, he's, he put himself as, uh, you know, he became, the Gospel of John says he, the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. He became like we are and experienced the storms of life, even death on a cross. Um, and he did those things so that he would know what it's like to be in our struggles. And then finally, don't confuse Jesus in action for a lack of ability. He's a God who is sovereign. He's in control. Obviously, that's what the main point of this story is. Even the winds and the sea obey him. Um, it's, it's amazing to me that one of the the, uh, the, the strongest declarations of the sovereignty of God, that God does and can, can do anything he pleases, comes from the lips of the evil king Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel. Um, Daniel chapter 4, starting in verse 34. And this is Nebuchadnezzar. At the, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, Lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me. So I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his uh, kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? None can challenge his authority. That's the, maybe the strongest statement in the Bible of Jesus, of God's authority um, and sovereignty. So when, 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 God is, when God seems inactive, it's not because he can't. It's not because he doesn't know our struggles. It's not because he doesn't care for us. It's not because he can't act. But because he's working through those struggles to make us more like him and to increase our faith. Um, and again, the, 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 uh, the statement there at the end of both of those stories, uh, in Jonah, the, sto the, the sailors were exceedingly feared the Lord is what it said. And then in this story, it says the disciples were fear, filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And, you know, it's, it's, that's the, the amazing thing is this 
they were afraid in the storm, very afraid, um, feared for their lives. But then when the storm was calmed, it's like, who is this? What have we gotten ourselves into being a boat, being in a boat with this guy? Um, they were uh, amazed and afraid of the power that this man had. Um, you know, we talked about the comparisons between uh, Jonah chapter 1 and this, this story in the Gospel of Mark. And we, we talked about how the storms were calmed in different ways um, as... As God, Jesus is able to speak and calm the storm. And maybe that's what we need in our lives is a miraculous, instant God speak into my life. Heal this situation in my life. Or maybe we need a different type of healing that God provides. You know, Jonah sacrificed himself. And ultimately, the one in the boat on the Sea of Galilee gave his life for us, for our sins. I thought, Jonathan, go back to this. Is going, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Go back to that second verse of there is a fountain. And there's a, um, I can't remember the exact words, uh, though vile the, the dying thief rejoiced to see that fountain in his day. The next slide. And there may I, though vile as he, wash all my sins away. So the, the self-sacrifice of this teacher that these disciples were just beginning to know would ultimately wash their sins away. And that's the ultimate problem that we have in our lives. Um, you know, we've got lots of problems, and they're not insignificant, um, but they're not our ultimate problem. And Jesus is going to wash the disciples' sins away. He's going to shed his blood so that our sins might be washed away. Just a couple of statements. We'll close with this. Um, ultimately, a God like this is to be feared, but fear leads to faith. And these disciples uh, who, uh, when they began to learn, as they began to learn who God was, they were afraid, and that's, that's almost a prerequisite for us to have faith. We have to have fear in a sense, not in the same way you would be afraid of a, of a storm, but the fear of the Lord leads us to really realize our need for the Lord. And then that's a prerequisite for faith. And then faith leads to worship. These disciples who were afraid at the end of this story by the end of the book or by the next chapter in the book um, and by that I mean 
the book of Acts. <laughs> um, when after Jesus' crucifixion, these, these disciples who were afraid, empowered by the Holy Spirit, are now full of faith and willing to give their lives for the sake of the gospel. And, um, and then faith leads to worship. The, uh, the, 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 the sailors on the, on the boat uh, with Jonah, uh, once the, the storm was calm, they offered sacrifices and thanks, these pagan sailors, to the Lord. Um, and then uh, uh, just a thought to lead us with worship is faith expressed. Worship is our faith and action. Whether it's formal worship like we sing and pray, um, we do those things as an expression of our faith. Or another form of worship is to obey. And so to obey is a, an expression of our faith. Worship is faith expressed. Let's go to the Lord together. Lord, we thank you for our time together this week. Uh, we thank you for your word, uh, for the way it works in our lives to uh, uh, sometimes make us ask questions and ponder things. And then uh, it leads us to truths that we can uh, put our trust in you, that we can trust you uh, because you're not um, unaware of our situation. You know our frame. You are not uncaring. You care for us. You have compassion for us. You are not unable to help us in our weaknesses, but you are able to uh, conquer even death itself for us. And so we trust you with our lives and we express that trust through our worship, uh, both corporately and individually as we obey you and seek to obey you with our lives. And help us to trust you more and more because of our understanding of this story and your word tonight. And bring us back together uh, to worship together on, on Sunday morning as God's people in God's house. And we thank you for that in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our church, visit welfarechurch.org. Blessings.